day let incense arise. The way that our prayers are described in heaven is like incense before the throne of God. Is that neat? And so when we say day and night, night and day, let incense arise, let God's people do what the Bible says we're to do, to pray continually, to pray without ceasing, to worship continually, to worship without ceasing. And it might seem sometimes like our prayers are not getting past the ceiling, but that's not true. And it doesn't matter what we feel because we live by faith and not by feelings, right? And so we believe that God hears our prayers and that it's like incense before his throne. And I don't have time to unpack the old book of Revelation, but there's another place where it talks about our incense rising before the throne of God, which is the prayers of the saints. And then God answers those prayers and it comes back down to earth like thunder and like lightning. Isn't that awesome? God hears you guys. Amen? He hears us. He hears us. And that's good news. And so I just wanted to, I was just thinking as we were singing that, I was like, I wonder if we know why we're saying that, right? It's not when it says incense, we're not talking about like essential oils and diffusers, stuff like that, but it's our prayers. Um, let me pray. Father, thanks. Thanks for today. Thank you, Lord, that you hear us. Thank you, Jesus, that you made a way for us to come before the Father and uh, to come boldly and confidently before the throne of grace to find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And Lord, there is not one hour where we are not in need of you. So thank you, Jesus, for making a way because you're shed blood. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, we have some guests with us here this morning, so I won't take up too much time. Their names are Q and Anna Kim, um, and their two daughters are here somewhere. They are missionaries that we support in Colombia, uh, South America, and I'm going to let them tell you a little bit about that. Or as they say, Colombia, Col Colombia, right? Colombia is just the clothing brand. But Colombia is where they, is where they live. So come on up, guys, and let's just welcome them as they come, please. Oh, get my yeah. And they're going to give us a little bit of an update on their ministry together, and then Q is going to share a little bit from God's word. Here you go. Great. Thank you, guys. Good to be with you guys again. It's been a little over three years since we last visited you guys. Um, so for those of you guys who know us, uh, thank you so much for journeying with us in this missionary journey, uh, working with us remotely, and uh, investing in the work that God is doing in Colombia. So thank you for that. Now, I also know that there's probably new faces. So before we start our ministry presentation, we're just going to give a really, really quick um, summary of who we are as Team Kim for Colombia. Um, so, let's see, there we go, so it works, perfect. Um, so a little bit about myself, my name is Cubum. Uh, it's a Korean name, um, Anna, my wife, our two daughters, Lucia and Noelia, they're in the kids' church right now, and a quick and easy way to remember us is Q and A, Q and A, so now you're going to remember us, so perfect. Um, yeah, so I was born in Korea. My parents are Koreans. They are also missionaries in Lima, Peru. They're still serving there. And uh, so by default, I grew up in Latin America for most of my life. And uh, I went to an American missionary kids school there. That's where I learned my uh, English and my American culture and all that. So due to my uh, formative education, I uh, 
ended up coming to Ohio to attend the Cedarville University uh, for my undergrad. While I was there, I got my uh, uh, undergrad in Spanish and in graphic design. And uh, that's also the place where God used to call me into full-time ministry. But I would say the most important thing that happened while I was at Cedarville was actually meeting Anna. Yeah, so I was already in Ohio, so you had to come to meet me, I guess. Yes. So I was born and grew up in Mount Vernon, not too far from here. Grew up going to Skyview and Millersburg, so even a little closer to here. Um, but from a, from a young age, I heard the gospel. I knew Jesus, accepted him as my savior from age six. And from there, I think God, along the way, planted seeds of, huh, missionary work must be important. And it's kind of cool. Actually, it's kind of weird, but I thought that was cool. So growing up, my dad took a short-term trip. Um, as a family, we went to the Ivory Coast when I was about 12. Um, in high school, I had an opportunity to go to Bolivia and that is also where God kind of opened my heart with love for Spanish speakers. So fast forward a little bit in college now. I started out as a pre-med major and hated every science class I took. So that was actually the Lord shutting down a pride issue in my life. Um, I had always considered missions, but I thought, well, if I go as a missionary doctor, not only believers, but non-believers will think I'm awesome as well. Okay, and so God removed that piece out of the equation. And so I ended up with an education degree instead. Um, I did that in Spanish. So again, going to study abroad in Spain, God just really grew and confirmed a love. First of all, y'all, I love grammar and that's why I love Spanish. But then for the people who spoke Spanish. Um, coming back to Cedarville, the following semester after I'd been in Spain, we had a missionary speaker. And at the end of three or four days of kind of a mini conference, she said, you know what, this, you're not signing anything. No one, no one is gonna follow up on this, but if you feel like God might be calling you to missions and if you would make your heart available to him, just come up. So, what, we'd been married about five years yeah. and we realized that we individually went forward at that same service um, at Cedar Villain Chapel. Mm -hmm. So, God was also gracious in that rather than me getting married and following my husband, he also called me. Not every woman has that privilege, but the Lord in, in my life used, used his, his will that way in calling us separately and then going, okay, now you can be a team. And so for God's glory, we are Q&A and Team Kim. Team Kim. Yep, so as you can tell, God had been intertwining our story for, well, before we were even born. And it's been really cool to see how that story has intertwined in which now, you know, we are in Colombia as Team Kim with our girls. Our girls also, um, we're blessed that they also know Jesus and have a relationship with him. And, you know, it's, it's really cool where, you know, two or more are gathered in my name. You know, he's, he's there with us. So um, it's been really cool to be able to work together as a church. Um, so... Part of our first year in Colombia was a little unusual in this regard. And um, I would say it was a time of transition, right? You, you think when a missionary goes to the field right away, they're planting churches, they're, they're doing all of these things. Well, that, that is part of the goal, and that's where we, went, where we want to get to. However, in our situation, we had to leave the country that we knew, 
to go to an unknown country, right? I mean, we didn't grow up in Colombia. We didn't know Colombia. I mean, yeah, there you can Google things, right? But it's different from learning within books and reading and a difference to practice it, right? Yeah, let me, let me just explain it to you this way. So I would say that my favorite food in the area that we're in is uh, just beans. It's frijoles. And some of the women at church are like, oh, do you make frijoles? And I'm like, no. And they go, you don't know how to make frijoles? And I said, my mom's not Colombian. Okay, so all those things you learn growing up watching your parents and the community around you, guys, I don't know how to make frijoles. Yep. So it, things that we may not consider as normal day life, you know, it's, it's just different. So as part of moving to a different country, we had to, well, pack everything that we had, sell things, store things. And the picture that you see, that's what we took down to Colombia in January of 2019. And along with that, part of living in a new country means learning how to do things in a new way. Things that you thought you knew how to do, you have to relearn and you have to learn how to do it in the way that makes sense within the cultural context. So here, the picture that you see is a metro system, so like subway, metro. And uh, it was a little crowded. Now, this was before uh, 2020, so you know people were a little more packed in there. But we had to learn how to navigate the city in the metro system. And along with that, you know, we also had to learn how to, well, we knew how to drive, but we had to get a, you know, Colombian driver's license. So Anna and I, even though we had 15 years of, you know, driving experience, we sat through driver's ed again and learned how to drive in Colombia. Along with that, we also had to do some mundane things like buy pots and pans, plates, right, silverware, napkins, things that you don't think, ooh, that sounds like great, glorious missionary work. Yet, that is part of life, right? If you move somewhere, you have to restart some of those things. And along with that, we also had to find a place to live, so apartment and all that entails, such as getting legal paperwork stuff to get an apartment, rent an apartment um, as a foreigner in a new country. So there's just a lot of things that we had to learn as we went through. And in that process, our girls also got the opportunity to go to school, which was a Canadian, Canadian Colombian school. And I'll let Anna talk a little bit about that one. Yeah, so again, just with transition, Q came in from Peru. I came in having learned most of my Spanish either by textbook or in Spain. And as they transitioned um, into a school system, it was very different from what I taught in. My, my background is in education, so it was quite different the way things were managed and done. And also there were things that I had to humble myself and ask because even though I considered myself to be fluent in Spanish, there are things. For example, here we would say, would you hand me a Kleenex? But Kleenex is actually a brand name. It's a facial tissue. They have the same thing in Colombia. I don't know Colombian brands. So I had to ask, what is colbón? Turns out it's glue. So that is how little I knew in some areas. And yet God used that when people can be helpful to you uh, the area we live in, the people there are called paisas. When paisas can be helpful to you, you have opened a door for friendship and building relationship. Mm -hmm. So asking what glue means, actually in the long run, paid off into being able to build relationships. Mm -hmm. So those are small things of asking questions 
watching, observing, learning how people function in a different context. Actually, because of the school context, we were also able to learn what are the expectations of Colombian families? How do family units behave? What are their priorities, right? Like Paul at Mars, you know, when he was at Mars Hill, he was an observer of culture before he talked and presented the gospel. So something that we were encouraged to do in our ministry, our intercultural training was be an observer. Before you speak, watch, learn, be patient, and then when invited, speak. So that's what we were doing. And along the way, we also got to do some fun things there too. And as you see, um, we were at a... Uh, at a uh, expo fair, just getting to know the different parts of Colombia, and we got to meet the Juan Valdez. Yeah, so you've probably heard of Juan Valdez. <laughs> He's like the coffee mascot guy. He, the role was created in 1969, and so this is the third guy who has the role, and he will have it until he decides it's time to retire. But yeah, we, we met him, and it was also really cool just because we had bought coffee from the vendor stand right there to the left. And they were so excited to show off something that is so important to them, being Juan Valdez, which on the little scale is super cool that we met Juan Valdez. And on the big scale, it made me pause and think, am I that excited to talk about Christ? Do I show him off the same way a Colombian coffee grower shows off Juan Valdez? Mm-hmm. Yep, so again, little things where we started to observe and learn these connections of what is important to the people in Colombia. And along the way, we learned that there's different ways of doing things. They're not wrong, they're just different, right? I mean, that's an outlet strip, right? It's, it's a do-it-yourself outlet strip. And you look at that and you're like, I don't know if I should touch that or if we should use that. Why don't you go out and get a power strip, and this is at a church, right? To give you context, though, a good power uh, surge protector in Colombia can cost around $40, right? That's well above the average means for a lot of Colombians, so you make it. You make it yourself, and people just kind of know, don't touch the buyers. <laughs> Again, is it wrong? No. Would we consider a safer way of doing it? Yes, but is it wrong? No. So we started to learn there's different ways of doing things. And some things, you let it be. Other things, well, let's see if we can redeem. But I think the most important thing that happened throughout the process of transition was actually getting connected with a local Colombian family. And the picture you see up here is one that's very meaningful. This is the Ruiz family. They're not just our Colombian friends, they're also our Colombian co-workers. Uh, Jonathan uh, is Pastor Jonathan of the Redil Envigado Church. Uh, Redil is a sheepfold, Envigado is the part of town that we live in, and we got connected with the Ruiz family um, really by God's providence. When we had arrived there, we had been praying even before our arrival, Lord, would you connect us with a family, a Colombian family that can walk along with us in this cultural transition? Someone who can tell us um, what you guys are doing would come across as offensive, so you shouldn't do that. Or, no, you guys are on track, you know, keep doing what you're doing. Someone who would be able to be friends and bluntly uh, be able to tell us, hey, you know, yes and no culturally. 
And it just so happens that they were also praying for people that would walk along with them. Because, you see, they were given a church about four or five years ago that was in a replant situation. Um, at the height before they received that, there was around 250 people. When they received that, they were down to like 15, 12 to 15 people. So they had been working and revitalizing, replanting that church, and after a year of doing it by themselves because there, were, there wasn't a support team, they were getting burned out. And they were praying that mature believers would be able to come along with them that would be able to walk along with them without them having to train or pour into. So God heard the prayer of this family, and God heard the prayer of that family, and it's like, all right, I'm going to put you guys together, right? And what, what was the circumstance that we got connected? Yeah, so cycling is a huge deal in Colombia, and it just so happened that there was a weekend, maybe two months into us being there in, in, in Bigalo, that there was a citywide cycling competition, and so all the roads were closed. And so we said, well, if we're going to church, we have to walk this week, which the city is walkable, where the section that we're in. There's a lot of mountains, but we're in sort of a little flat area. And so we looked up uh, churches that were nearby. We walked in, and the way I would describe it is that you knew that the Holy Spirit was there. We walked in, and it felt like home. Um, there were people who were friendly, not just in a friendly way, like, oh, nice to meet you, but like actually interested in why we were there. There was music that was in Spanish, but songs my kids knew. So that is a huge deal for a missionary kid who is still learning the language, to recognize a song even if they couldn't sing along because the words were in a new language. So yeah, we walked in and then shortly thereafter we met up with the family kind of one-on-one -on -one in our home and, and God grew the friendship from there. Mm -hmm. And as we got to know the family, we got to know the extended family. We got to know Redil Envigado and the church members, which actually um, they started service about 10 minutes ago down in Colombia. So we're worshiping. Oh, yeah, there is a time change, isn't there? All right, so not quite yet. Um, in a little bit. And um, so they will be worshiping soon uh, in Colombia as well. But it's really cool that... Um, we were able to get to know other believers and start understanding where are they in their spiritual walk? What is God doing in their life? And start understanding the general panorama of what God is doing in the Colombian church. And along with that, we uh, started to plug in as just believers who are learning about the culture. And I had the opportunity to uh, participate in the praise and worship group there. Um, I was invited to just sit in and understand how does uh, church leadership look like in Colombia? What's the mission? What's the vision? What's the strategy? And what are the challenges that pastors face? What are the, what are the challenges that the congregation faces and what's keeping them from being able to be gospel proclaimers and disciple makers? So these were all parts of that process. And because of the relationship with Jonathan, Jonathan, Pastor Jonathan was able to introduce me to the wider network of pastors in the, Medellin, the city of Medellin, which, by the way, the city of Medellin is about a city of 4 million people. So it's a sizable city, and there's a lot of opportunities. There are a lot of churches, but per capita, for the number of people that are in there, it's very, uh, very little percentage of churches per population. 
So we got to know more of the churches and understand what is there, what are their challenges, their strategies, their visions, and all that. And I'd say one of the cool things that happened uh, because of that, too, was I got to meet um, some other Colombians, that uh, the ones to my left and right, um, that are also Colombian missionaries, right? Think about that, Colombian missionaries, who are going to uh, ethnic tribes within Colombia, unreached people groups in Colombia. And we'll, we'll dig into this in, in, in a little bit, but... Um, it was really cool to get to know that it's not just North America that is sending missionaries. There are other churches around the world that have a desire to send missionaries, right? But a key aspect of that is to equip and to be able to enable um, local churches to be able to do that. So as we got to go through that transition, get to know the uh, Ruiz family, it was really cool as, as we reached the end of 2019, we had gotten into a stride, into a rhythm where, you know, those of you who have worked in a team and stuff, you just kind of know what's going on. You, you can, you know, kind of figure out what other people are thinking before they say it. So we were reaching that stride. And we were planning some magnificent plans for 2020. Um, you know, like things like clear vision, all of those little mottos and taglines we all had talked about at the end of 2019 with grandiose plans. And instead, we started to do this. I'm sure that some of you guys can relate working from home or having to go heavily into the virtual realm of ministry. We had plans, but God had other plans. And through that process, it was actually a really edifying opportunity because the pandemic did a couple things for us personally and also a couple things for the church in Colombia as well. Um, for us personally, uh, it really solidified the relationship with our Colombian uh, partners, Colombian friends, because they mentioned, guys, you guys had the option to go back to the U.S. where, you know, all the medical facilities and everything, like, you know, it's all available for, for you guys. But we appreciate you guys stayed with us, right? And uh, so one of those things in the pandemic was helping our local pastor and other pastors to be able to transition, right? Keyword again, transition from um, having a uh, brick-and-mortar church uh, service and ministry to going to a virtual one in the midst of uh, the transition. And, of course, this affected our uh, family as well from a schooling perspective. The girls also went to fully virtual. And, uh, I mean, how would you describe that experience, especially for the chaos. girls as well? It was That's chaotic. Chaos. <laughs> it was chaotic. And uh, there were some challenges as well because during the pandemic, um, Colombia specifically had a lot of restrictions. Uh, there are many reasons why that happened. One of them was um, the medical system and the medical infrastructure in Colombia, while it's good, um, would not have been able to sustain um, a significant increase, rapid increase. So the Colombian government decided, hey, we, you know what, we're going to shut down the country for, you know, one or two weeks until things, you know, settle. And you guys know that, like it went from one, two, three, several weeks. And during that time, we really were restricted in that we were only able to go out twice a week 
to do groceries. Um, no one was allowed to go out unless there were essential workers, and that severely affected the girls as well. Yes, because so many Colombians live in multi-generational <coughs> homes, the hardest restrictions were actually put on kids. They didn't understand how it was spread really well, but they knew that if kids went out, kids are more likely to touch and keep their hands in their mouths and all of that kind of thing. Um, they were afraid that it would make basically all of the grandparents sick. And so kids had the hardest restrictions. They literally were not allowed to step foot outside of their apartment for about four and a half or five months. Um, so we could open the door and look. We live, in a, we live on the 11th floor. So we could open the door and look at the elevator, but literally they could not cross that threshold. Mm -hmm. So as we were helping the church transition for the adults from a physical to a virtual, one of the areas that we saw that there was a gap was children's ministry. Um, we realized that kids did not have the same opportunities. There weren't kids' Sunday schools that were being done virtually and so on. So we started to film and uh, produce a series called Discovering the Bible for Kids. And what that was was a, a Sunday school lesson from going from Genesis to Revelation, just teaching the Bible to kids. And we finished filming all of that in 2019, and, I mean 20, by the end of 2021. And uh, there's an episode premiering every Sunday, and as a result of that, there's kids in Colombia, there's kids in Mexico and Peru and um, other parts of the world that have been able to continue to learn about God's Word. And it's been really cool just to see the kids' responses where they're telling us what they learn, because the big context of the Sunday School program was it's a question-based. We tell the story, and there's three questions that are asked. You know, what does this story say about God? What does this story say about people? And what does this story say about God's plan for people? And since we knew that parents were quarantined with, you know, were restricted to stay home with the kids, the idea was that parents would interact with their children to answer and ask these questions. So it was really cool to see that, and our girls also helped participate in that process as well as we filmed. Um, and we can share the link to the videos if you guys want to see it later as well. Along with that, we also worked with our... Um, <clears throat> Our, our Colombian ministry workers, our leaders, our pastors to help them know uh, how to transition, how to film, how to do all of these virtual church things as well, uh, all things that you guys are probably familiar with. And um, Anna, along the way, also was able to help with the women's ministry, which I'll let her talk a little bit about too. Yeah, a little bit of background. In, in Colombia, it is a traditionally Catholic country. And I say traditionally because if abuela, grandma, says that we're Catholic, we're Catholic. Not because people actually go to church, not because they have a relationship or have ever read the Bible. Um, so it is a culture that would say on the outward that they are Christians, but when you have conversations with people, most people know very little about the Bible. In fact, in some parts of Colombia, they tell people, if you read the Bible, you'll go crazy because it's just too hard to understand. You'll actually like certifiably be insane, and that's the end of it. Uh, so, from that culture, when people come to know Christ, they still don't have an idea of what it means to study the Bible. And so, while the women had been doing some studies, it was very simple, like, read this, answer some yes or no questions. And I could see that two things were happening. One, they were ready for more. And two, in the pandemic situation, they needed companionship. 
And so uh, Jeanette, who is the pastor's wife and I, started a small group and we did a Bible study that was a little bit more inductive where we're asking questions straight from the scripture. What do we, kind of very similar actually to mm -hmm. Discovery Bible for kids that he talked about. What do we see about God here? What do we see about people here? What is God's plan? What does that mean for me? Mm -hmm. And so we were able to train facilitators and then those facilitators had groups ranging from about seven to, I think one group was up to like 22 or 23 because it was her cousins and sisters and, and a big old Colombian family. Mm -hmm. um, but it literally changed the feel of our church. Now that we are able to meet together again, the women hang out and chat because they formed friendships, deep relationships, they walked through hard times together. Many of the Colombian believers are first generation believers. They might be the only one in their household, the only one in their family who actually knows and wants to follow Christ. And because of that, those relationships that were formed in WhatsApp, so basically group texting, became really beneficial for them in the times that they were inside their home and really alone in an environment that was otherwise difficult with unbelieving family members. Um, but the key now is when church is over, the ladies just stay and chat until the pastor finally says, I'm going home, you have to leave. <laughs> that to me is the sign of community that is thriving. It's not just coming because of a club, but they are actually talking about how they've been dealing with situations at home, how they are parenting their kids, and applying the scripture that we've been studying together as women. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, a, that's something that we want to emphasize now in this part is that the experience for many of these uh, Colombian brothers and sisters, are, they are first generation, right? They are working through, they don't have a precedent of what it means to live daily, what it means, biblical wisdom of living out as a believer. And one of the challenges that we found throughout the pandemic, and even as we, before we entered the pandemic, was the idea of relationship, of community, right? Because as believers, we are part of a community. We have relationship with each other. It's Trinitarian. It's who God is. So we wanted to start a small group, right? But we ran into some obstacles. Let me give you a little bit of context. Colombia, as some of you guys might know from the stereotypes and so on, is that it was a dangerous place. And there's truth to that. It still is a dangerous place. And part of that danger came from decades of conflict. Conflict from paramilitary, which is right wing. You had uh, conflict from the guerrilla with left wing. And then in the middle, you also had the central government, which couldn't lean either way. And then there was a force player, which was the cartels, right, who basically worked for the highest bidder. So for several decades, the Colombian people, the nation of Colombia went through a lot and a lot of violence, a lot of death, a lot of uh, destruction. And as a result, call it PTSD or trauma, people, people have had an aversion culturally to forming relationships. Wouldn't you, if you went through decades of trauma and violence and you didn't know if the people you knew were going to die, or if the people you knew, you formed a new friendship, they could actually be connected with the wrong people and as a result brings your entire family into one of those opposing factions? 
under those circumstances, it's very understandable to not really build meaningful relationships. And unfortunately, that culture also has permeated into the church in Colombia. Understandably so. So, a while back, when we were trying to form a men's Bible study, a men's group for being able to do discipleship, Pastor Jonathan introduced the group to biblical male friendship. And one of the believers stood up and said, why do I need this? This isn't important, and walked out. Okay, so this is just setting the context of what relationship looks like. Now, Colombians, friendliest people, willing to help you, but if you want to dig deeper and have a vulnerable relationship, very, very difficult. So, the picture that you see, that's actually something that started in 2021, something exciting, the core group for a small group. Now, uh, the two couples on the right, us and the Ruiz family, were just moderating and facilitating, but the ones that you want to think about and pray for are the ones on the, let's see, stage right, left side, and uh, they're, they're developing a friendship. They're learning what biblical friendship looks like so that they can disciple each other and walk along in their daily walk as believers as well. And as we started to dig in that, there was another area that we realized that had a lot of weaknesses. Family. There aren't a lot of generational families, Christian generational families. So one of the uh, things that you see here, this is a uh, team uh, for a ministry called Raices Profundas, Deep Roots. And where this comes in is that we want to help people to have deep roots in the gospel, in biblical identity. Um, what was it that Sarah said about just this idea? Yeah, again, keep in mind, text the, con <clears throat> the context where in Colombia forming relationships is difficult. It's very rare that people invite each other into their homes. Again, because of growing up, seeing that your parents didn't invite anyone over because of the risk of violence or danger, it's not part of the culture to invite people into your homes. So we invited this group of people into our home, and, and Sada, who is sitting on the, the left, said, you know what, I have heard about how Christians in the United States and other parts get together and like have a meal. And I've dreamed about this. And it kind of blew me away, because I grew up seeing my parents meet together with other believers, and well, I'm part of the family unit, so I go along. But Sarah, for her, as a first-generation believer, she had literally never had that kind of opportunity for relationships and to see community lived out in, in God-honoring ways. Mm -hmm. So a big part of what we're doing, if we want to summarize our ministry, is discipleship. It's discipleship in the small and basic things, how to be relational in a biblical way, how to disciple in a biblical way, how to parent, how to be a spouse, how to um, be a community of believers, because all of these things were disrupted due to the violent history that Colombia had in the past few decades. And um, you might wonder, you know, so where does all of this fit in strategically with missions and all of this, is that the mission agency that we represent, Avant Ministries, our goal is to be able to send missionaries uh, and plant churches where there are no churches or very small percentage of churches. 
And as the mission agency has grown and has sent missionaries to here and there, they've realized, well, Americans can't go to all of the places in the world. We need to work along with our Latin American brothers and sisters so that they can send missionaries to other parts and plant churches as well. But there are some foundational things that are still missing to be able to effectively and holistically and in a healthy way send missionaries to other places, among those being understanding of community, understanding of how to be able to communicate well and organize well so that the church has an effective ministry movement. So that kind of summarizes just the three years that we've been doing, but um, one of the things that I wanted to share with you guys now is how does this, all of this information apply to you guys, right? Because you, you, you hear this and you think, wow, that's really cool what God's doing in Colombia. It's really cool to see how God has been working with the Kim family, with the Ruiz family, but what does this mean for me? Um, I want to share with you guys three things that you can take away from this. Um, let's see. Three things that you guys can take away from this. And I'm going to point it out by the three years that we've been there. The first one is our transition to Colombia. Key word being transition. Um, <clears throat> There's a verse that I would say that summarizes that, and it's Proverbs 19, verse 2. To act without knowing how you function is not good. And if you rush ahead, you will miss your goal. As I'd previously mentioned, our first year in Colombia really was learning about how the Colombian culture works. But in doing so, guess what? We had to learn how our family functions as well how I function as a husband, how I function as a dad, right? So interestingly enough, to be able to know where we're headed and not stumble through the process, we actually had to look internally. And one of the challenges that I would ask you guys is, have you had a chance recently to look inward, to ask yourself, who am I? your identity, and more importantly, who does God say I am? Have you guys taken the time to think that through? Because it's very easy for us to be able to look around the world, and the world has plenty to say about who we are, right? The world wants you to represent a brand. The world wants you to be this party affiliation or that party affiliation, this team or that team. Other people tell you what you should be, what you should do. But the question is, who does, what does the Bible say about who God wants us to be? Have you asked that question, right? Because as the verse says, to act without knowing how you function is not good. And to be able to reflect on those ideas, you have to ask yourself, who am I? And that's not an easy process. Because that might mean that you have to give some very, very hard parts of your life. Parts that maybe you have not wanted to confront, or parts that you don't want other people to see, to God. That might mean 
trauma that has happened externally, or that might mean sins that we have been hiding in our own life as well because we have a reputation, right? What people see externally, that's what's more important. I encourage you guys to reflect on that. Who does God say I am? Take the time to think through who I am so you may know, right, where you're headed as well. The second truth that is part of this, the second point is truth, actually. Um, it's 2 Kings 17, 15. They despised his statues and his covenant that he had made with their fathers and the warnings that he gave them, and they went after false idols and became false. And they followed the nations that were around them concerning whom, God, whom the Lord had commanded them that they should not be like. So what are you going after? Is it false? Is it true? Know God's will, right? Know God's will. And to know God's will, interestingly enough, you need to know God's word. And we know that God's word is truth. Like Anna had mentioned about the Bible study for the women. Like I'd mentioned about the kids knowing the truth of the Bible from beginning to end. Do you know God's word? And I'd encourage you guys to know what is true because, you know, throughout the Bible, you know, God wants us to know His will, His Word, and even Paul, you know, encourages us through the equipment of the full armor. He starts out with the belt of truth, right? Because we've all been there. We've all been in a situation where we went out the door in the morning and we forgot to put on our belt. And I don't know about you guys, but man, that makes for a miserable day, right? Because you've got things that you need to focus on, your work, and yet, it's hard to focus on your work when you also have to keep your pants up, right? Well, let's not get ourselves into that position. Know the truth. Put on the belt of truth. Because if not, the alternative is actually quite frightening. Because it says they went after false idols and became false. As we had the opportunity to walk along with our Colombian brothers and sisters during the pandemic, it was very evident to see, it was very cool to see how this came into practice. You see, for the Colombian church for a long time, there was this erroneous idea that the church was the building. If I went to church, I am being a good Christian. I am growing and maturing because I am going to church. And when the pandemic came and the restrictions started to clamp down on all of those things that Christians held dear, the four walls of the church disappeared. You weren't able to relate and commune with people the way they used to. And it really brought down those things that were not true. And believers in Colombia really had to ask the question of, what am I actually pursuing? And they started to turn toward the truth of the Scripture, and as a result, um, 
as I interviewed some pastors in 2021 to see, hey, what was your pandemic experience? What have you learned? All the pastors that I interviewed unanimously said, my church grew because of what happened in 2020. I did not realize how many, how much falsehood there was, but as a result of this, our congregation is stronger, is more mature. There, there is more life in our church as a result of this. So kind of bringing this back down to earth and to our scenario, I encourage you guys to, again, think, what are we pursuing? Things that are true or things that are false? And the third takeaway is deep roots. Right? We had talked about the concept of developing deep roots for the deep roots ministry. The verse is from Jeremiah 17:8, and it says, He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. As I had referenced before in our ministry presentation, we want our Colombian brothers and sisters to have deep roots in the gospel. Because interestingly enough, by having deep roots in the gospel, you are able to distinguish what is true and what is false. And when you actually have a firm grasp or at least strive to understand what the truth of the Scripture is, guess what? It goes back to the first point where we can understand and know who God says we are. All of these things point to a concept that I would summarize as identity. What is our identity? What is our core value? What makes us who we are, right? And... In academics, we would call that um, worldview. But for us, I would say, what, what is the truth of our life? What is the truth that you're holding dear to? Right? Is it Scripture? And is it, are you planted with deep roots in the Scripture so that no matter what happens, you are able to weather through all of those storms. Because going back to that first point of transition, <clears throat> we're all going to go through it, right? Transitions happen, whether it is um, going from being a single to married, from being just a married couple to having kids. And for those of you who are parents, know that every stage of life is different, right? When you think you have a grasp on your child, they throw you a curveball and you're like, okay, I need to relearn how to be a parent again, right? Because there's different stages, there's different transitions, there's job changes, there's political changes, geopolitical changes, economic changes, pandemics. There are transitions in all parts of our life. And those storms continue to come. We know from the Bible that those things are going to continue to come. So the question is, we can have control over some things, and those things are, what are we pursuing? Is it the truth of the gospel? 
Is it scripture? Is it truth, right? Or are we going after things that are false? So I encourage you guys to reflect on that. Reflect where you are personally so that you may be able to thrive as you continue to participate in the vision and the strategy of, Mars Hill, um, of, of Mercy Hill, of being able to participate in ministry, do discipleship, to proclaim the gospel, all of these things. Know where you are first. Know what God says about who you are. And then all those things are going to fall into place naturally. It's not just a problem in Colombia, the question of identity. It's also a challenge here in the U.S. It's a challenge in other parts of the world. Because, curiously enough, sin is a global problem, isn't it? And as long as there's sin permeating into other parts of the world, truth is going to continue to be attacked. So I encourage you guys to continue to learn God's Word. And I want to thank you guys for giving us the opportunity to share the work that God is doing in Colombia and also to share just a practical biblical application of what that looked like in Colombia and what that might look like for you guys as well. So thank you. Uh, If you guys have any questions, we'll be available um, after the service uh, to be able to answer specifics about Colombia as well. Thanks, guys. Worship team, you guys can come on up. Worship team, you are still here, right? Okay, thanks. Hey, you guys stand with me. Here's what I want to do. We're going to sing here, um, as we usually do at the end of the service. Uh, I didn't run this by Q and Anna at all, but I'm sure they'll be good with it. Uh, I I like to do this from time to time, but especially when we have uh, missionary speakers. I'm going to ask you guys, if you'll go, we have a little nook there in the back. And as we sing... Um, you heard the story that they shared about uh, that one invitation that was given at Cedarville one time. They realized five years later, once they were married, about that they'd both come up to that invitation. I love what Anna said. There's no, we're not going to have you sign a card. Nobody's going to be snapping pictures of you um, to make sure that you, you know, follow through with, with whatever else. We just, but, but if, you, if you just have an inkling in your heart, in your soul, that you're like, you know what, I think the Lord is calling me to serve in missions in some greater way. I'm going to have them pray for you, okay, as we sing. And so um, just please, please just be obedient to that and to respond to it. Uh, it's times like this, it's just the little steps of obedience many times that we take that end up getting us to where the Lord ultimately wants us to be in his purposes for our life. So Sound good? All right. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. You guys go to the back. And if you guys want them to pray for you, um, yeah, go ahead. Hear me? No. Okay. I forgot to mention, we also brought some Colombian candy. So we'll have that available at the front, too. Um, so that's not connected with the prayer thing. It's just, uh, it'll just happen to be. Thanks, guys. Let me pray. You guys go to the back and respond as we as we sing, as the worship team leads us. Father, thanks for today. Lord, thank you so much for Q&A. Lord, they just feel like a part of our family here, even though we don't get to see them a lot. And I just thank you for um, just what you're doing down there. Lord, it's an amazing thing that because of what you did for us, Jesus, that we are united by the blood of Christ with 
brothers and sisters all over the world. And we just say yes and amen to all that you want to do. Hallow your name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Father, I pray for anyone here this morning that as we sing, and maybe you've just been speaking to them as Q and Anna have been sharing their story. I just pray, Father, that uh, you would help them just to respond and to come down for prayer, Lord, and that this would just be another little step forward in their journey with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.